Today's episode of the Trailblazers.fm podcast is sponsored by the Campaign for Black Male Achievement, a national membership network in support of a movement to let the world know that our black men and boys matter. They're an asset to our communities and our country. And as a nation, we cannot truly prosper when any group of people are excluded and forced to exist on the fringes of society. The well-being of black men and boys has direct influence on the strength of our families, our communities, and our nation as a whole. My ask, Blazer Nation, is that you'd consider joining and investing in the Campaign for Black Male Achievement as we head into the holiday season. Your contribution is going to help CBME to amplify and catalyze black male achievement around the country. To do so, I ask that you'd visit blackmaleachievement.org and select either of the options to join and or donate to this movement today. You're listening to the Trailblazers podcast, where we will explore the stories of successful Black professionals. Join us as we highlight the knowledge, resources, and tools of these accomplished trailblazers to help provide the know-how, confidence, and motivation you need to blaze your trail. And now, here's your host, Stephen Hart. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Trailblazers podcast. So excited, our featured trailblazer today is Rohan Jilks. Rohan is a serial entrepreneur who has built several multi-million dollar companies in just a few short years. He's recently voted one of the 100 most influential African-Americans by the root. He's been recognized by the Obama White House for his work in entrepreneurship, and he's developed and presented business case studies for Catholic University, as well as Northwestern University's MBA programs. In addition, he's a regular speaker at startup conferences. He's a member of the Young Entrepreneurs Council. And just an amazing young brother. And I really enjoyed this conversation. Before we dive in and share Rohan's story, I wanted to give a special shout out really quick to Linda Knox, who left us a dope five-star rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. And her review actually read, I absolutely love this podcast. Stephen gives consistent, good content. I love the guests he has on the show, as well as his solo podcasts. As a podcaster, I love listening to his shows. They really help to keep me motivated, keep up the good work. Linda, thank you so very much for those kind words. You put a big smile on my face reading this review. And Blazing Nation, I love to smile. So I'd love for you to continue what Linda has done and consider leaving us a five-star rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. Really simple. I greatly appreciate the love. It would help to expand our reach within the Apple Podcast universe. And if you have not yet done so, consider giving me that early Christmas gift, right? If we aren't connected yet, many of you have been listening to the podcast more and more every day. I find some of you reaching out on social, on Instagram, on Twitter, in the DMs, as well as in IG stories and sharing that you've been a listener. You've been part of Blazonation for quite some time. And there's nothing that makes me happier than to know who's actually on the other end of that download. So if we've not yet connected, I want you to connect with me. I'm very active on the gram, on Instagram, as well as on Twitter. Hit me up. My handle's on both channels. You can find the podcast at TBPod, or you can connect with me directly at Stephen A. Hart, right? I want to know who you are. I want to know what you found inspiring about this podcast. 
hit me up. Let's get connected. Let's chat it up in the DMs. That said, I won't delay us anymore. I want you to go ahead right now, grab your pad and pen or open up your note-taking app, and let's get set to receive today's mission fuel from our featured trailblazer, Mr. Rohan Jokes. Enjoy it. Rohan, welcome to the podcast, my brother. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So as I do on most of our interviews, I love to start things off from a place of gratitude. And I wanted to ask you to maybe share an unexpected blessing that you maybe didn't plan for, but you're extremely grateful for it happening. Hmm. An unexpected blessing. Well, you know what? I'll just be in the moment. I think an unexpected blessing right now is coming across your podcast in one of my Facebook groups and reaching out to you and connecting, finding out that you're a Caribbean man as well. And just, you know, just the connection is really nice and makes my day. So that's a good one. Humble that you reach out, brother. I'm excited (laughs) about having a convo for sure. So also detect your accent. Tell our listeners where you're from. Oh, yeah. So I was born and raised in Barbados. I lived there until I was about 18 years old. And then I moved to the United States to go to college and then start living here after college. Yep. Love it. Tell me something interesting about growing up in Barbados. Oh, yeah. So much good stuff. So growing <laughs> up in Barbados, one of the things that I already think about, like my time there was, you know, I lived about maybe 15 minutes from the beach. Thought you were gonna say Rihanna. <laughs> I wish. I live about 15 minutes from her high school. Her high school is in my neighborhood. Oh, wow. But no, I, I never met Rihanna. That would have been nice. <laughs> <laughs> and so one of the interesting things for me is like I became a beach bum. It's probably like an interesting Rohan story versus a Barbados story, but I was a beach bum, man. I had the red hair. Yes. I would be at the beach like three days a week, bro, you know playing soccer. I would even end up leaving school and go to the beach after school. (laughs) So for me, like really living on the beach and being really immersed in the culture and playing soccer and cricket and just had a really good time, man. And most of my friends are still there. So I'll be there again this year. Mm-hmm. Nice. That's funny you said that. I'd like the second you said it, I think back to probably being like six or seven, and I'd spend like six days a week in water. And I'd have <laughs> a great hairline from like the sun and the chlorine and <laughs> life. Oh my gosh. That's yeah. that's too funny. So mm-hmm. tell me, as a kid, did you envision life as an entrepreneur and business owner? Was that ever a thing? So as a kid. I knew I had this little entrepreneurial spirit. Like I would do things like selling lettuce on Sundays and on my bike and doing random things like that, you know. But when I pictured my life, I kind of saw myself more as like, let me become like a vice president of some company or something like that. That was like my goal, you know, go to college and get a degree and work my way up in a business. And I tried that. I actually tried that. I went and got my business degree, accounting, and I worked in corporate America for 10 years and really realized that not only was it not for me, I didn't love any of it. I felt like more imprisoned than some person that was alive and living a full and free life. And only after going through the corporate America thing that I realized, you know what? There has to be a better way. And that's what brought me into entrepreneurship. Wow. So I'd love to bring you back there, right? Take us and maybe take us through what that pivot looked like going from the corporate world into entrepreneurship because you're an accountant at that point in time, right? Yes. Yes, absolutely. So I'm glad you asked about the pivot. So the pivot 
you know, it was a long pivot. And this is something that, um, you know, I tell people about, like, there's really no overnight successes. It was a long pivot that ended up looking like it was overnight. So (laughs) I spent like maybe the last four years of being employed, actually figuring out, like working hard on trying to figure out how to work for myself. So I will be at work and then at lunchtime, I'll be on the internet, like learning all I can learn about internet marketing and building blogs and advertising and SEO and search engine mark, you know, the whole deal. I learned about it, reading all these things, and I did it for over a period of four years. But what was different about me is as I was reading about them, I was actually implementing them. So Mm -hmm. say I read a blog on some way to make money on eBay, I would actually start like a little eBay site and like test it and see if it worked. Then I would read a blog on local affiliate marketing. I would, you know, find some way to actually try it out and see if I made some money. And that's what I did for about four years before I found the first thing that became successful. Mm. Wow. Yeah. I love that. You know, you took action. What are some of the other skills that you think you were naturally gifted at that made for you becoming this great business owner today? Good question. I think most of the things that I felt led to where I am today is they're more like these soft skills. And I don't even call it a skill. Like probably the number one thing I feel is like I have this obsessive personality. Really? I'm like, I'm obsessed. So (laughs) if I find something like say I did one of those tests I just told you about and, you know, I make like $50 or something, then I become obsessed about it. Okay. If I made 50 bucks, how can I do that 10 more times? (laughs) And make 500 bucks, right? (laughs) And then I go down this tunnel where I spend all my waking hours obsessing about this thing and learning about it and picking it apart and putting it back together. So for me, it was really that part of my personality where I just have to figure this thing out. You know, I was thinking about that just recently. I was like, you know, I wonder if there is a certain required element of being real competitive. Like, you know, you spoke of your love for sports with soccer and Mm. cricket. I wonder if some of that blended over into, you know, seeing somebody else being able to achieve and do certain things. And then your obsession with wanting to do the same or better than mm. take over. Man, that is a good point. I think that could be right. Because as I'm looking at all these people on the blogs, you know, talking about how much they're doing per month, you know, I just hit my first $100,000 month and stuff like that. And I'm like, you're a regular guy just like me. <laughs> so if you can do it, why not me? Like, like, why can't I have a full life as well? Right. So yeah, you could be right, bro. <laughs> you actually achieved quite a bit. I mean, I'm reading some of what you shared here and, you know, really, really impressed. You went from zero to 10 million in revenue in four years. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Yep. Crazy, remarkable, man. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So let's talk about this as a startup. I know the name of the game right now is recurring revenue and building recurring revenue models. And you built a SaaS company up to a million in ARR. Yes. Before we dive deeper, I know a couple of people heard what I just said and said, what? (laughs) So Mm -hmm. let's maybe explain what SaaS and ARR means. Sure. So SaaS is an acronym that is S-A-S-S. And it stands for Software as a Service, S-A-A-S. So what SaaS is, you can build a software, like some type of software that does something, and you can use that for yourself, which is originally how I built it. I built it as something that I needed myself. And then over time, I realized that other people needed it as well. So all I had to do was to say, okay, if you need it, pay me 
$99 per month and you can use it as well. And that's the totality of what SaaS is, is you create some, a piece of software and you charge people a monthly recurring fee to use that software as well. And then you try to get as many people as possible to use it. And the reason why this model works so well is that you only build a software one time and then you sell that same product to 10,000 people. You know what I mean? And those 10,000 people are paying you every single month. It's like one of the best business models out there. And so that ties into what MRR or ARR represents, right? Yes, absolutely. So your MRR is monthly recurring revenue. Mm -hmm. So if you have 100 people paying you 10 bucks a month, that's $1,000 in monthly recurring revenue that you're going to be making. And then that $1,000 per month works out to $12,000 per year. So your ARR, your annual recurring revenue, would be $12,000 in this example. And that's really what it is. Like MRR and ARR, these are the two of maybe three or four most important metrics for software companies. That's awesome, man. You know what I appreciate about that? You being able to explain that and not burning a ton of calories for me to. <laughs> I think that's one of the simplest explanations I've heard of SaaS. I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you. Let's talk about the steps, right, that you took to get this up to this seven-figure, you know, recurring revenue model. Oh, yeah. I'll dive in. So I got to take one step back before the SaaS because this is an important part of the story. My first big win was actually an online cleaning platform, like a home cleaning platform where people can come online, pull up their credit card and book service to get their home cleaned. And what I would then do is connect those homeowners with home cleaners that wanted to clean the home. So basically, I was a person in the middle connecting right. these two people. And when I built that company, I built the software just to run that business myself. And because you know, like, I needed you know credit card processing and I needed like a booking form for people to book service, I needed them to see my schedule in real time. So I needed all these things that didn't really exist in a form that I liked so I built something for myself. And then I kind of told the story, you know, as part of my marketing, I'm really transparent. I told the story of the business and how to build these types of businesses. And people came on board and started building these types of businesses as well. Wow. And of course, they needed software. So I was like, hey, well, as you're building, Great. here is some software that you could use. And that's really how I grew the SaaS business by putting out all this content on how you can be successful in these types of industries that would actually need the SaaS to be successful. That makes sense? <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's really smart, man. <laughs> you got my wheels turning right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's how it works, man. Content is really powerful to sell software companies. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, before you get into the steps, it kind of brings to, I'm kind of wondering, because this model, and tell us the name of the company that you're running right now as a SaaS. <laughs> yeah, no, it's called Launch 27. So launch, like, like you're launching a rocket, L-A-U-N-C-H, and the number 27.com. Got it. Yeah. So Launch 27, and I know you also have another model, a shaving model, yes? Yes, I also have a subscription company called Wet Shave Club that ships out shaving products every month subscription box. Mm -hmm. Wow. So you have these different business models. I'm curious before we probably step into the steps forward, right? That you took. I know that every entrepreneur has, you know, their challenges or the failures, the roadblocks where you have to learn from really their lessons to be able to pivot and correct and to get to where you are. 
what's been the biggest mistake that you've made in building things to where you are today with this model? Hmm. Super good question. So I think that, I mean, I made so many, bro. I'll just choose one because the list is long. Absolutely. (laughs) If anybody tell you that they have built a successful business and they haven't made a ton of mistakes and lost a lot of money and so on, I don't believe them. What's one of the more painful ones that you still lodged? (laughs) You'd like to release it, but it's forever lodged, but it it has provided tremendous wisdom that's helped you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'll give one, and this one, again, may be attached more to my personal style of business, but I'll give a simple one. So as I was building these businesses, I felt like I would really make it when I get myself an office. So I really felt like, you know, like I'm working in my living room, you know, at the time I was doing like maybe $60,000 a month just in my living room. And I would wake up every day, go downstairs and start to work. And I felt, man, I would really make it and see myself as an entrepreneur for real when I get myself a nice office and I can have my employees come in and we do all this stuff, right? And I feel like for a lot of people building businesses, that seems like a nice goal. But then when I did that, I end up having to go to work again. So I'm like back in the same thing that I tried to escape from. I put myself right back in that situation. Had to get up, get dressed, you know, take a shower, get in the traffic, drive to work. I have my coworkers again. And it felt like I had gone right back into the same corporate job that I had just escaped from. Even though it's your own? Even though it's my own. Yeah. Even wow. though it's my own. It felt the same way. And then I'm spending all this money on overheads and I'm doing all this stuff and the costs and all this stuff. And I realized, you know what? I was not happy. So just to wrap up this mistake, I will say, as you're working on something, think about where you are the happiest and what works specifically for you and and make those decisions around that. I like to be completely free. I can work from anywhere. I'm in Tampa right now. I'll be in Vegas in two weeks. I'll probably be in Lake Tahoe or something in another two months. And I can work from anywhere I have my laptop. And so when I realized that, I kind of cut my expenses down and I have a more free life that I was envisioning for myself. So that's just one thing that, you know, I look back on and I know like, I would never do it again. Like, <laughs> never. <laughs> I guess that's one of the great benefits, too, of having an online business, right? Yes. And, and operating in this space where you really don't have the need to have a brick and mortar to right. provide a physical product, which mm-hmm. is awesome. So let me bring back here, right? Let's come back to these steps that got you to this seven-figure model. Sure. With the SaaS company, I already talked about that. And I'll say, and this is something I think is important too, like a lot of what I'm going to talk about, this is something that is very doable. So people are like, oh man, you are the founder and CEO of a software company that is doing a million dollars per year. You must be a really good developer. Mm. And I'm like, I cannot write a single line of code. (laughs) I cannot. I wouldn't be able to know where to begin. So right now, what I did was I was like, okay, I know that I want this thing. I know how I want it to work. Then I spent time looking at the competition, right? So the first step for me would be to look at the competition, look at how they're doing things, look at how the software works. When you press this button, what happens and so on. And I compiled a list of the competition and took all these screenshots and I mapped everything out on, I think at the time it was like this thing called Zoho, which is like Google Docs. Mm -hmm. I kind of mapped everything out. And through all those things, I had different ideas for how I think it should work. I got some ideas from these companies and then I introduced some things that I felt would be really beneficial that these other companies were not doing themselves. So when I did all that, a lot of it was just, you know, it wasn't professional looking. It was all like screenshots and Google Docs and templates and so on. 
And I went to this place called Upwork.com, U-P-W-O-R-K, Upwork. And that's where you can hire developers to develop anything you can imagine, a mobile app, a web app, whatever you can imagine, there are developers on there that can do it. So I went through and I found two developers and I showed them the scheme that I had built up. And I was like, can you build this? And they said, yes, they can build it. And I hired them to build it. And as they were building it, and this part is very, very important, I started to make articles and write posts about the product before it was even done Mm. and tell people it's going to be so amazing. You can actually pay me now before it's even done. And I'll lock in a low price for you that is like maybe 50% off what other people are going to pay when it's ready. So that way I had people pay me for the product and I was using that money to actually get the product built. (laughs) That's that's how I did it. Yeah. Yeah. So a couple of questions that I wanted to unpack real quick from what you just shared. I'm yeah. a big believer in Upwork. I've been using Upwork from before when it was Odesk. Yes, me too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> been on there and I use it more so in my space. I'm a marketer. So I hire quite a bit of designers and, and mm-hmm. web developers via Upwork. Great platform for everyone to have access to. Questions around having a contractor, freelancer that's oftentimes in India or Pakistan or, you know, wherever in the world that they sit, right? How do you handle the challenges of giving them requirements and giving them access to seeing your product in the raw? Like, is there NDAs that, you know, have to be signed? Like, you know, or are you even concerned about that? That's not what they do. They're not entrepreneurs. They're developers. So it's not something that I'm concerned about. We could get them to sign an NDA, but I mean, the trouble of trying to execute an NDA in Russia or something, it just, it just doesn't even make any much sense. It's not going to be something that ends up being very, very useful. But for the most part, we have built multiple projects, multiple apps, multiple websites in the double digits. And I have never had a single issue with anything like that where some person wants to steal your idea or something like that. They want to develop that thing, get paid and move on to the next project. Mm-hmm. So it brings me to the other side, right? With product market fit, before you even move to a developer, how are you, like, what happens? Are you scratching your own itch initially? Or, you know, are you doing certain amounts of research to try and figure out, like, you know, where that need is that Mm -hmm. then step to the developer and begin to flesh out product? Yes, I know. I'm really glad you asked that. This is super important for anyone who's listening right now. Product market fit. That is, you want to make sure that whatever you're building is what people want. Mm-hmm. You can go and just build something and spend like fifteen, twenty thousand dollars and it's really, really pretty and it works really, really well, but it's not anything, <laughs> it does not really solve a problem for anybody. So instead, what we do is we want to be really, really transparent when we're building. And so that also requires you to get over the feeling of someone is going to steal my idea because we talk about it. We go on the forums and we talk about it. We're like, hey, this is what we're thinking about building. Is this something that you would buy? Like what about it? Like what would make it better based on what we describe? What do you think will be a good price point for it based on your needs and so on? So that by the time we start to build and we find a developer, we have all this expertise. We have industry knowledge. We've talked to people that will actually be using the platform. We've solved a lot of these like informational problems before we actually start to work. And while we're working, while we're building, we keep these conversations alive by being in the forums and being on Facebook, being on Reddit and Medium and Hacker News and all these other places where our customers may spend time. So that our final product is something that they have had input on 
and they're just waiting for you to be done so that they can pull up their credit cards and give you the money for the thing. And if you build it that way, you won't have problems with product market fit. Wow, that's awesome. Hey, I hope you're enjoying this episode so far. I wanted to take a quick break right here and ask you a quick question. When you hear the words personal branding, what are you thinking of? I have a good many people who have responded to this saying they're thinking of a logo or maybe a website. And those are just a couple elements, right, to a personal brand, but they're not everything. In fact, your personal brand is in large part this ongoing process and development of your online reputation, your image, and a promise you're making to those that you interact with and influence on a day-to-day basis. And it's also derived from who you are, who you want to be, and who people perceive you to be. Now, in 2018, whether you are a CEO, uh, entrepreneur, a corporate professional, or you're a college grad, someone is Googling your name and the results that they find, if any, and the story being told about you and your brand is going to leave that person who is searching either more or less inclined to connect with you, do business with you, or hire you. And if you know right now that you need to fix this, if you know you need to begin building your personal brand or enhancing what you have already started working on, but you have no idea what to do from here or how to get started, I'd like to encourage you to sign up right now to learn more about my personal branding course called Brand You Academy. It's a first-class, six-week online program designed to help you build your amazing personal brand and digital footprint. If you're interested and you want to learn more, hop on over right now to tbpod.com slash brand you. Again, that's tbpod.com slash brand you. Now let's get back to today's episode. So how do you find the right people to become part of your team? Now, it sounds like you stay away from an office type setup, but I'm sure you're not doing this independently and you have people beyond Upwork freelancers, right? How are you finding the right people to kind of take on some of that responsibility? This part is probably the diff- most difficult I've heard that. thing to solve. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, writing the software is easy. Like Finding the right team to have around you, people that you trust, is a little bit more difficult. Mm. But what we did was we started to create like small communities around every product that we built. And this is a super tip for people that are listening. No matter what business you're running, build a Facebook group dedicated to the industry. Mm. So if you're building a SaaS software for local services, we build a Facebook group for local service providers. If you're building an accommodations platform for people uh, for vacation rentals, we build a Facebook group for people going on vacation and doing group trips and so on. And these are actual real examples of businesses that we've built. So no matter what business you build, build a Facebook group for the industry that that business resides in. And then you start to become an authority by posting articles and writing posts and so on. You become an authority in people's eyes as you're building a Facebook group. And then you also get to connect with people that are interested in what you're working on and they have expertise in that area as well. And from those Facebook groups, that's where we end up hiring from. Wow. Because these people, like we talk to them every day. We know that they're good at a particular thing because they show that in the posts that they make. Right. And we like them and they're nice people and we like to be around them. And then it's very easy from there to hire people from those communities that we build. Interesting. Yeah. That's really neat. Love that. So you have me thinking about some Facebook group ideas now. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. What's the advice to others who maybe you know, are wanting to build and maybe even position their business model for recurring revenue? 
some tips on how to position their business model for recurring revenue. Yeah. Yeah. So there's only really like two things you need to get into recurring revenue. So I'll talk really quickly on why recurring revenue is so critical. There's two things that you have to measure when you're thinking about the value of recurring revenue. You want to measure the lifetime value of a customer. Meaning if you get a customer, how much money is that customer worth to you? Probably the easiest way to describe it. If some person like becomes one of my customers, what is that customer worth to me? And that worth is not only calculated on the initial purchase, it's also calculated on how much money they're going to spend with you over time. So you have that number. Let's say that number, say that customer is worth to you $1,000. So once you have that $1,000 number, you have to then figure out how much does it cost you to find a customer? Mm-hmm. So maybe that customer costs you $100 in Facebook ads or something to find. So you have these two numbers, $100 to find a customer, and that customer is worth to you $1,000. So you know, every time you get a customer, you have like a $900 profit, right? Yeah. And that's really what your business is built upon. And if you have recurring revenue, that customer worth to you is a lot higher. Yeah. Maybe it's $1,000. Maybe it becomes $2,000 now because you have that consistent monthly revenue. So if that customer value is high, then the cost that you pay to find the customer can be pretty high as well. It allows you to be flexible and do more things and test Facebook ads and retargeting and all these things. But without getting too complicated, just the point I want to get across is recurring revenue makes your customer a lot more valuable to you. So we want to have recurring revenue in every single business that we build. And so if you have a business where a customer buys like a t-shirt from you, you want to find a way to send them emails every week or something with discount codes and find a way for them to, you know, maybe buy an ebook or add them to some type of course or something where they can learn how to build a t-shirt company and pay you 16 or $20 per month to learn, whatever. You want to find a way to build a recurring revenue and it's very important. And you can do courses. You can do something where they pay monthly to talk to you. There's that. So you can do like some consulting as well. You can do software. You can do like maybe if you do like a cleaning service, you can say sign up and I'll come clean your home every two weeks and you pay me 200 bucks every two weeks, whatever. Recurring revenue, man, that is the backbone of building a large company in a short period of time. Yeah, I love that. You know, I love that you're talking about life in the startup space and software, but I'm really beginning to understand that just about anybody could put this into application in some facet in their own business. Mm-hmm. This is really interesting. So you've experienced all this success, right? And I'm seeing all these crazy numbers, zero to 10 million and, you know, all this annual recurring revenue, despite all the success run. How have you been able to manage to stay grounded? I haven't. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, that could be one, <laughs> one possible <laughs> response. <laughs> uh, no, man, I like that question a lot. You know, like we both grew up in the Caribbean, right? So you you know, Asian parents probably would not like that response. <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, that would not be good. <laughs> but yeah, we like if you grew up in the Caribbean, and you know, it's not unique to the Caribbean, but growing up in the Caribbean, like there's all these challenges that you have to have growing up. Like I had all these challenges that, you know, I grew up, you know, in poverty. Like we were not well off. We were not a well off family, right? And I didn't grow up in like a super nice neighborhood or something. I grew up in a very humble place with 
really like regular people trying to make a living, trying to do what's best for their families. And that's all I saw for like all my life. And all those friends that I grew up with that were, you know, in the same neighborhood, they're still there. And they're still my friends. And, you know, they're still, you know, going through the same difficulties of like trying to make a life for themselves and raise their families. Like now they have kids, you know, Mm -hmm. and just having gone through that. And, you know, my life has changed as far as entrepreneurship and I'm in a lot more comfortable place financially, but my reality is still there. Like when I go back home, my neighborhood is very similar. You know, it's the same thing. Like I could not, there's no opportunity for me to really change except, you know, just to work hard and try to make sure I can do what's best for my family and try to pass on some of the success to the younger people in Barbados and people that are around me. So I just try to just do the best I can, man. (laughs) I imagine, right, that you, as well as many of the people who I bring on this podcast, right, you're doing this in large part to help others and to impart your wisdom to others. I'm appreciative of your wisdom today and your transparency, even through this conversation. But, you know, how do you go about guiding young men and women who are on the come up, right, through because I talk with several people, you touched on soft skills earlier. You know, I find that being a challenge for a younger workforce coming in this next generation, not mm-hmm. being prepared with the right blend of those soft skills, right? Mm-hmm. But also finding their purpose. And that's another theme that I notice comes up quite often where people are searching. How do you guide people or young people, especially through that process to help them find their purpose? Yeah, man. So that is such a good question. And it's such a good question because it's almost like the backbone of everything. Yeah, Your entire life is dependent on let's figure out like what I want to do, what my purpose is, what will make me happy, what would provide for my family or, you know, what would make me a full human being that is content on the path that I'm going on. It's a backbone of every single thing. And one of the things that I think people can do is, and this is it's just simple, is like be aggressive about that search. So if you want to find your purpose, that means that you have to be searching, but you have to be really, really aggressive about that search. Meaning that, man, like I'm telling you, like, as I was going through this process of figuring out what I wanted to do, I spent every waking moment searching. And, you know, when I'm not like having some fun with my friends, like you still have to live like a life that is rounded and full. I was on the internet. I was reading stories of other people that had become successful and that had found their purpose. And I would read and say, okay, I see their success. Let me find out all I can find out about their failures. Mm. Let me see all the things that they struggled with, all the things that they tried before they found the thing that worked for them. And over time, it kind of painted this picture that the people that end up finding their purpose, they thought they found their purpose multiple times because they had tried so many things along the way that failed. And it really looked like in order for you to find this end goal, you have to go through these steps and these hurdles and these failures, and you have to get the failures out of the way. So you have to go through them. You can't avoid them. That like You can't sit on the sidelines and say, well, this may not be it, so let me not do it. And then 10 years from now, you're in the same position. You have to aggressively get those failures out of the way. So you have to try, like get off the bench, try, doesn't work, fail. Okay, that's fine. I'll try something else. Try, it doesn't work again, fail. Okay, that's fine. I'll try something else. And that has been my process and the process for a lot of people that have become successful. And each time you fail, you end up learning so much that in the next time you do it, your chances of failure is a lot lower. And you may not even see it because it seems like frustrating or something like that. But each time, so that by the time I found my business that worked for me, 
I had accumulated all of this expertise and experience. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, man, my first six months, I'm like $20,000 a month already. I'm like, what? But I had failed so many times that I missed all those mistakes I had made. Like I I didn't have to make those mistakes anymore. So bottom line of my long rant is to say, get off the bench, get those failures out of the way, learn. And by like the second or third one, you're going to be so good you're going to like surprise your own self on how successful you can be in whatever you pursue. I love that. And I love the message in you saying that, Hey, listen, you know, you are going to fail. Like everybody is going to fail, but by you failing that first or second time, it doesn't mean that you need to give up, right? Mm -hmm. It means that you've learned a couple ways that don't work. Mm -hmm. My wife, my wife just last night, hugged me. I shared with her some stuff that I'm working on yet again, recreating myself once more. <laughs> and, you know, She laughs. She's like, you know, you are the ultimate <laughs> creator where I'm always creating something new, you know, to step into my next. And, you know, I now see failure not as a stepping stone to a lesson, but failure is a lesson. It mm. is your process about how you go about learning so that you can win. Mm. But you know, if you don't learn from those failures, you know, then as you said, you know, you would not have gotten to this point where you have this kind of revenue mm. and business model in place. Or I would not be at, you know, the point in this podcast journey where I have, you know, achieved what we've been able to achieve to this point. Mm-hmm. If I didn't go through like many, many nights of, you know, <laughs> banging my head against this mic <laughs> in frustration. So absolutely for everyone listening, you know, keep pushing, keep trying, keep pivoting mm-hmm. and not give up on, don't give up on the goal, you know, let the goal stay there. Just keep figuring out different ways to get to it. Absolutely. Absolutely. You want to achieve something. There's two steps. I like this. There's two steps to achieving something. Start and don't stop. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Love that. Rowan, this has been a great conversation, man. Before we wrap up here, I wanted to ask you two questions that we ask all our guests before we let them go. Mm -hmm. First one is what's one book or, you know, several books that you've read or reading right now that have inspired you and you'd care to share them with us? Yeah. So there's one book that I always recommend. It's called Made to Stick. Made to Stick. And it's a book on communicating. So for example, they would say, say that you're the hammer salesman or something like that. They say you're the hammer salesman. You don't want to say, okay, this hammer is going to put a hole in your wall. You want to say by using this hammer, you'll be able to hang pictures of your family and feel the emotion and reminisce about the times when you were younger and all this stuff. And that's all just to sell a hammer. So (laughs) this book is really about how you communicate and a large part of your success, especially online, is going to be around communication, how you tell your story, how you sell your product or services, and how you connect emotionally with your customers. So this book, Made to Stick, is incredible. That's right. Got to sell the sizzle, not the steak. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. All right, Rohan. So our last question today is, you know, what's one action that our Blazer Nation should take hopping off this conversation that's going to help them to blaze their trail? Ooh, so that's a good one. That's a good one. That's a good one. I think, and this is going to be, you know, I'll just say in like 15, 20 seconds, but for us, right, every time we think about an idea for a business, so if you're some person that's looking to get into entrepreneurship, when we think of an idea for business, 
it really boils down to two steps. And but this is actual two steps. One, we want to create a landing page for that thing. It's just a one-page website. And once we create that one-page website, our second step is just to get as many people as possible to see it. So for us, every single time, no matter what we're doing, our first action is to figure out how to create a one-page website and start there. And that way that you start to take action, like you're no longer just reading and consuming information, you're actually doing something. And that would be what I would do. You want to start a business, come up with a one-page website that has it up there. And it's something that could be done for like, you know, a hundred or 200 bucks, very, very simply and start there, get people to see it, get them to give you their email address, get them to buy something for nine bucks or something to, to start out and get going. And this is it's very, very doable. That will be the action I will take. Love it. Love it. Tell our community how we can stay connected with you. and uh, We can wrap up for today. You can reach me at Rohan at overthinkacademy.com. I'm on Twitter, Rohan Jilts, G-I-L-K-E-S. Facebook, Rohan Jilts as well. I also hang out at overthinkacademy.com. Love it. Rohan, thank you so much, my brother. Great conversation. Thank you, man. This has been really fun. Thanks so much. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Trailblazers podcast. I'll be posting links to all of today's book recommendations and links mentioned on our show notes page at tbpod.com. If today was your first time listening to the Trailblazers podcast, I just want to extend a warm Trailblazers welcome to you. We're so happy to have you here and we encourage you to go ahead and hit that subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. Go ahead and browse through some of our past episodes to keep the knowledge flowing. If you're a fan of the podcast and today's content, and you're maybe already subscribed to the podcast, please continue to share and invite your friends, your family, your colleagues to listen to an episode that you think might impact them most. We believe that someone listening to these inspiring stories will be moved to make significant changes that will have generational impact for many others, both now and well into the future. Don't miss next week's episode. New episodes are released each and every Monday by about 5 a.m. Eastern. Trailblazers, jump off this podcast today. Go find a way to rise above, go way beyond, and keep blazing your trail. Cheers. Cheers.